0: A
1: reading is from the Acts of the Apostles. Let us be attentive.
0: In those days, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible on the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with the blood of His own Son. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by so toiling one must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had spoken the he knelt down and prayed with them all.
1: that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know You are the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work which You gave me to do, And now, Father, you glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words which you gave me. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you did send me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are mine and all mine are yours. Yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Which you have given me. That they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled. Glory to, you, Lord. Glory to you,
2: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God. Amen. I have to share this. So the altar boys are all coming into the altar just now, and as they're coming in, I mean, there's a lot of them, right? So they're you hear their feet, you know, clump, 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 and they're all coming in. And deacon leans over and he goes, "Oh, well, when the saints come marching in." And I said, "Now I'm going to have that stuck in my brain like the rest of the day. That silly song, you know." <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it's really beautiful, this, uh, you know, we just celebrated the Feast of the Ascension uh, last Thursday, and... It just dawned on me, just as we were standing here uh, and, the, and the gospel reading was uh, being concluded. When, when we think of the ascension of Christ, we have this beautiful uh, picture, this image in icon form, where the, uh, all the apostles are looking up into heaven and they're, they're seeing their Lord, their beloved Master, ascending and departing from them, separating from them, in a sense. And you can imagine the stirrings in their hearts. Um, At the departure of of this man whom they had been with for three years in a very intense and intimate way. And and, and just the, the, the difficulty that they had in leaving him. But it dawned on me this morning, just a minute ago, that this prayer that is today's gospel reading, that Jesus too is very concerned about his disciples as one who is about to depart. So on the one hand, we have the disciples who are really concerned that Jesus is leaving now and ascending into heaven, and and all that that would come with that in terms of thoughts and feelings. But then you have this beautiful example of Jesus praying to his father, being like a father himself, over these disciples, and and praying that his father will will watch over them and take care of them, as he did for that short period of time. So there was a beautiful sort of exchange, and and I think it's equal on, on both sides of the equation. This is a a really beautiful prayer uh, that our Lord offers to his Father. And he's speaking about his disciples in terms of who he wants his Father to keep. But really the recipients of this prayer are not just the disciples, but the whole church in its entirety, including you and I, and and, and and for from the time that he said it until the end of time. And it's not unusual to see Jesus praying in, in, the, in the New Testament. For example, we see in the book of Luke that he went off to a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night long to God. Now imagine what that must have been like, just to, to have that uh, length of prayer, that time and how difficult it is for us to pray sometimes even for just a couple of minutes we also know that at the end of his public ministry he went into the garden of Gethsemane to pray and there that was a very very difficult prayer because he was about to go forth to his passion and of course all the suffering that was going to be uh, endured and and we know how, how deep and painful that prayer was for him and so in today's gospel we see another example of Jesus praying and in fact it's the entire gospel passage for us today, but why is it that of all the prayers that Jesus said and that are recorded in the Bible, we're reading this one on this day? Bishop Nikolai Velomirovich says that this prayer, over 300 years later, showed its effect on the first ecumenical council. So this is an incident where that prayer that he was saying was not exclusively for the disciples at that time, but was for the entire church. And that prayer, he says, showed its effect on the first ecumenical council. He said, through the power of this prayer, this prayer of Jesus to his Father, God made the Holy Fathers of the first ecumenical council devoted and fearless defenders of the truth and victors over questionings and malice by Men and demons. What a comfort to know that the 318 fathers of the First Second Council going into this council and what it was that they were confronting, they were not alone. They were imbued with grace. Grace that was was available and given to them and prayed for 300 years prior. And it was that grace and through the works of the Holy Spirit that they were able to accomplish what they did. So this prayer really is both timeless and it's all-encompassing. Because our Lord truly doesn't want any of His children to be lost. He experienced that once with Judas, and that was painful. That was painful for him, and it was painful for all the disciples. Don't think for a moment that they, that they realized and knew that a brother had fallen. And after he had fallen, he took his own life, and how that impacted them. Don't think for a minute that the disciples were just like, ah, eh, you know, we still got 11 more. We'll pick up another one along the way. They were deeply grieved at this because they saw how he was deceived and pulled away into the actions that he committed, leading then and following uh, followed by despair, which led him to take his own life. So this is why our Lord is praying to his Father, Holy Father, keep them, that is to say, protect them. Even so, we know that there are those who will walk out from under the protection of God. We see this time and time again, such as Judas that I mentioned. Because though he walked with Christ and he witnessed all of these miracles that Jesus had performed, and he was the beneficiary of all that that he taught, he chose to follow another path, and ultimately it led to his own destruction. This is what happened when we choose to walk away from God and under his protection and guidance. Throughout history, there are those who will heed the voice of one who is not the true shepherd. And one such individual was Arius, who fell into deception and whose false teaching, by the way, spread within the church, and he led many people astray. In fact, the impact of Arius' teaching on the believers was so profound that the church, through her faithful leaders, convened to confront and condemn what he was teaching. And it is on this Sunday that we commemorate the first ecumenical councils and the fathers who were present there just a little background. This council took place in the year 325 in the city of Nicaea and it was convened by Constantine the Great who was the emperor at that time. And the primary purpose of the council was to confront Arius who taught that Jesus Christ was not co-eternal with the Father but rather he was a created being. That Jesus was a created being. Arius ultimately denied the divinity of Christ and the Holy Fathers with one unanimous voice stated that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is one with the Father, and there was never a time that he did not exist. And so we say in the Creed, at least in part, Jesus Christ, begotten of the Father before all ages, begotten, not created, and of one essence with the Father. Eventually the Church condemned the false teaching of Arius and the statement of faith, the Creed as we know it, at least in the first half was formulated in Nicaea and the second half of the creed was uh, completed in the city of Constantinople in the year 381. So technically we refer to it as the nicaean constantinopolitan creed because it was started in one city at one time and completed in another city at another time shortly thereafter. But the effects of this prayer were not only manifested in Nicaea in 325, But in every situation, whenever and wherever the church has been threatened by false teachings, Jesus prayed in this prayer. He said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. You see this emphasis of unity and and oneness. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave to me. I have guarded them. But now, I am leaving them. Now I am coming to you. In other words, Father, protect them and guide them and keep them always. And it was clear really from the very beginning of the church that there would always be threats of false teachings against the truth because we have an adversary, the devil. And it really shouldn't come as any surprise then that the church and all the faithful that comprise it, you and I included today, will be tested and tried. In 1 Peter we read, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's very graphic language, and it, it paints a picture in our mind of what that looks like. You can think of a lion as it's kind of lowering its body, and it's moving very slowly, and it's stalking its prey. This is the imagery that uh, is given to us in this passage. But it's not that graphic in real life. In fact, it's very subtle in real life. It's very unassuming and we can easily make excuses that whatever it is, is not that big of a deal. When in fact, it could be a huge deal but because we have become very desensitized to the threats they become normal and we're not concerned about them anymore. The job of the father of lies is to deceive and he does it in the most most profound ways, in the most subtle ways. Addressing the bishops and priests of the church, St. Paul in the book of Acts issues the following warning. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopi, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Father Matthew and myself and our bishop and all bishops and priests in the church are serving the body of Christ, which Christ purchased with his death on the cross. This is not a small matter. And anytime we begin to maybe lose sight of that, we, we run the risk of falling uh, prey ourselves. That we have a very holy, holy mission given to us by God through ordination. He goes on to say, I know that after my departure, St. Paul says, savage wolves, there's that sort of illustration of an animal, will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. And such was Arius. Such was Arius, who was a priest in the church. He was ultimately a cancerous cell that was turning against its own body. And unfortunately, Arius would just be one of the many over the centuries who would speak perverse things in order to draw away believers from the flock, infecting them with false teachings. What's concerning, I think most of all, is that Arius' teachings uh, affected many people and he collected a large gathering of followers, even from among the clergy of his time. And he proved that it doesn't take much to deceive people because people are given that name of sheep and sheep are very, very gullible animals and they're very easily led astray. And this is why St. Paul exhorts the overseers to watch over the flock and watch over themselves lest they be deceived. I said earlier though that Jesus was speaking about his disciples in this prayer but that we're all recipients everybody who makes up the body of Christ on earth the church why are we all susceptible to deception and being led astray though I think that in today There are many ways that we are threatened by false teachings. Teachings that corrupt, but don't necessarily even speak about the divinity or the humanity of Christ. We are are threatened in many, many subtle ways that we have become, I think, very accustomed to. And have become even a part of our life and lifestyle. And we don't see the danger within them and how it leads us astray. And I think one of the greatest dangers is the spirit of minimalism. How can I live a Christian life in the most minimal way? What's the least amount I need to do or sacrifice and still bear the name Christian? We want to have our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to know how much we can live in the world and be of the world and still be a Christian. And there's a new balance that we're trying to strike where no balance exists. So we live a life of imbalance, but in our mind, thinking otherwise. I think in large part this is due to the fact that we either don't know our faith or scripture very well, or if we do, we're not allowing it to truly transform us. But as to why that is, I'm honestly not 100% sure. So I think we could speculate and maybe we could have some discussion about this in Theology 101 today. Remember Peter said to Jesus, Behold we have left everything to follow you. How are we to understand this though in regards to our own life? How are we to move from a life of minimalism as Christians to maximizing our potential as Christians to become more Christ-like? How are we to combat, if you will, the subtle heresies of our time? How are we to help our children do this? How are we to help build up resiliency in them and in us, spiritually speaking, not just emotionally? And I think to begin with, we can read this prayer that we see in today's gospel passage and ask God to keep us in His name. We can offer this prayer on behalf of ourselves. We can offer it on behalf of our whole community and our church and for our children as well. There's only so much in reality, though, people, that we can do to protect ourselves and efforts that we can make. The rest, or I'll say, the most that we can do is to pray. And that which will be most beneficial is to pray that God keeps us and protects us through his grace. The prayer that Jesus offered to his Father that that we have as the gospel passage is a perfect example for us on how and for what we ought to pray. If you just remember, his disciples asked him how they ought to pray, and he gave them what? The Our Father. I think this prayer, asking for God to keep us in his name, if we were to read it daily, is also a prayer that we can offer on behalf of the church and for our families. There was a small book I once read, and one of the beginning sentences, I think in the first chapter, it was The Way of the Ascetic. And it says, we're fighting against somebody who has a millennium of experience. That's a lot of experience when it comes to the spiritual life and spiritual warfare. But we also have to remember that he who is in us is greater than he who is against us. So let us pray for God's holy protection as we strive to live a life that is very pleasing to God. Let us not think for a moment that it is going to be through our efforts... That we accomplish this, but through our heartfelt prayers for God's assistance as we live this life. Because the same Holy Spirit who is operating and functioning and guiding and teaching and reminding and protecting the Holy Fathers of the First Ecumenical Council is the same Holy Spirit that is available to all of us at any given moment in time. We just need to call upon Him. Amen.